0: From Fox 8 Sports, you're listening to Fox 8 Overtime.
1: From Fox 8 Studios in New Orleans, welcome into Overtime, the podcast for all things sports, all things Louisiana, and everything in between. Alongside Sean Fazan with John Bennett Producing, I'm Garland Gillen. And today we are talking Saints Free Agency. It has been wild. But first, we want to remind you to subscribe to the podcast, rate and review, and tell your friends. If you want to get in touch with us, use the Final Play app or Tiger Huddle app to submit a question. Now, let's get to it. Sean, it's been quite a week Mm -hmm. of Saints Free Agency. It is. Which move that the Saints pulled off is the one that
0: you're most impressed with? Oh, it is. Without question, unanimous decision, unanimous vote of one being me, uh, Emmanuel Sanders. Um, A, the way they approached it, it was a classic Saints next wave signing. That first, I don't even know if it was a second wave signing, it was probably closer to a third wave signing late Friday night. They let the dust clear. They let the market resettle. And all of a sudden, they strike with a player. And I'm telling you, I went back and watched four of Emmanuel Sanders' games, and I got more and more excited at, with each passing game because the Saints have not had a player of this particular skill set I said on final play Sunday night. Uh, since The closest I can compare him to is Brandon Cooks, but even they're not the exact same player. Sanders' ability to separate, his ability on double moves, his his uh, smoothness out of his breaks. Um, uh, the saints have not had a quality number two receiver in quite some time. It is the number one gripe we get when we get these final play submissions. When we get these questions, we get these calls, they finally get it and they get it at a rate. That's so affordable. Two years, 16 million, uh, up to 19 million, depending on playing time incentives and whatnot. Um, it's such a great move because it, it was such a hole that now was filled and it, you could just visualize how much better Emmanuel Sanders makes the team. Bravo identifying the guy, waiting for the right time to strike and getting him at a great deal, which two years, 16 million, I guarantee you this is cat pit for 2020 is going to be low. That's what they do. So um, without question, it's Emmanuel Sanders. There was no other position that if you were the, on the outside looking in, that you felt like the Saints needed more than what than the second wide receiver opposite of Michael Thomas, so Emmanuel Sanders gets the nod, gets my vote. Sean,
1: uh, there's no uh, problem finding film on Emmanuel Sanders, especially for the Saints. Uh, totally, <laughs> totally torched him last year in the, in the score fest in the dome. Um, was there any indication to you last year that when the Broncos put him up for a trade, were the Saints trying to land him before the Niners got Emmanuel I, Sanders? I,
0: I, he was in the discussion. Um, I don't know how far those discussions got, but at that time, I don't think the price that the uh, the 49ers ended up paying, and I've got to check the, the compensation. Maybe John Bennett can check on that in a second. Um, was it, The Saints were not willing to part ways with it uh, at that time. I do know he was in the discussion as as far as striking a deal. And obviously, he was a player. Now, they played Emmanuel Sanders after the trade deadline. But you can recall the Super Bowl week, Sean Payton was asked a lot about San Francisco-Kansas City, that matchup. And he constantly said the speed of San Francisco's receivers. And when he harps on a topic that much, that means it caught his eye. And, I mean, he decimated the Saints. Seven catches, 157, abused Eli Apple. Um so uh, they had a front row seat of how good this guy is and now he's gonna wear black and gold.
1: Do the Saints still go wide receiver possibly in the first round if their guys there. Uh they yes they got a they got a one and a two now. They got Thomas and they got Sanders there. They go
0: for a uh, another wide receiver in the first round. Um Wow, well, okay, just just real quick. Denver received a third and a fourth round pick. Mm. Uh San francisco got Sanders and a fifth round pick. So they're not crazy compensation but um, at that time the Saints were confident in what they had. Back to the topic at hand. Do they go wide receiver? The answer is if that player is the highest graded on their board when they come up yes they will not be shy about pulling the trigger on another free agent uh, excuse me another wide receiver especially when you consider you can always have a third wide receiver you can always have a third wide receiver we know that. Um, So if Justin Jefferson is the name I had mocked to the Saints, is available at 24, and he matches the grades with which the Saints have for him, then yes, I think that's a possibility. The key is they don't have to do it now. It's a little bit more of a luxury to do it now as opposed to, and I thought perhaps given the relatively low, obscure free agent market for wide receivers and Emmanuel Sanders being one of the best that, that could have been available, um, that perhaps the Saints would bypass their normal routine of filling needs via free agency and draft a wide receiver because the draft class of wide receivers was so deep, but they were able to land Emmanuel Sanders, so now that's just a luxury. I don't know, a luxury. I think you can still certainly use one because Emmanuel Sanders is 33 years old. So I do think, absolutely, if the opportunity presents itself, yes, at 24 or in the third round. However, because what's going to happen is there's going to be a lot of highly graded receivers this happens in every draft, that are going to get pushed because the big men go first and the quarterbacks go first. And frankly, there's going to be a team that's going to see a wide receiver that's going to bypass it. And there's going to be some first-round graded wide receivers that are going to slip into the second round and some second-round guys that are going to slip into the third round. So if there's value there, the Saints are going to do it. So the
1: the best move, you think, is for the Saints? I would think Saints fans will say the biggest head-scratcher was the Andres-Pete deal. Five years, $57.5 million, $33 million guaranteed. Sean, there was a lot of uh, talk out there that this might be the end for Andres Pete in New Orleans, but uh, I guess we were all wrong on that.
0: My best educated guess is this, and this is not me insider information. This is me just gauging what happened and knowing how the Saints operate. What happened, in my opinion, was... The guard market initially was not as robust in terms of Joe Thweeney was not available. Brandon Scherf was not available. And Graham Glasgow was out, I think, on the first day. Those were the top three guards available. Then Eric Flowers, who was a, a, who was, was a bust, I believe, when he first came into the league, uh, got a good deal first draft. So uh, first, first day of the dra- uh, of free agency. So I think what happened, the market kind of vanished really quick with the top tier guys. Um, Saints couldn't act right away because remember early on they still had to work out Breeze's deal to create the cap space that couldn't happen so what ended up happening was once the dust settled and the market regrouped what was left Andrus Pete was probably very close to the top of that list of what was left now in my opinion I think there were a few players out there that if you were to got at a cheaper rate probably would have been just as good didn't happen so in Andrus Pete's case They bring him back, which is understandable that he would be next up on their board. But, five years, $57 million, 33 million guaranteed, that's just a head-scratcher because he's not the sixth-best guard in the NFL. He's just not. He's the sixth-highest-paid guard in the NFL. Now, silver lining, though, and I've mentioned this in my blog, and I mentioned it Sunday night on the final play. The Saints overpaid, in my opinion, but at least they overpaid for a player they know, as opposed to overpaying for a player that you don't know that that can kill you in the nfl that's what happened with jared Byrd. and andrew pete's case there's a ceiling and there's a floor and when you average it out he's right he's that he's average but the saints know how to deal with him. they know they know what he can and cannot do um he's got versatility he's had health issues we know that um but when there's a, a unit is uh, five across from last year you can you can maintain the same continuity, the same chemistry. So while I don't like the contract and honestly I'm surprised that Andrews Peek came back, I am okay with the fact that at the very least you do get continuity along the offensive line in a year where there's not gonna be most likely we don't know yet, there's a strong chance there won't be any OTAs to work to rebuild chemistry. There won't be any uh, mini camp depending on how long this thing lasts with the coronavirus. So um I can talk myself into Andres Pete, but no, I'm not going to kid anybody out there. I did not like the contract. He's not worth what they paid for him. All right,
1: starting line right now for the New Orleans Saints is Tron Armstead, Andres Pete, Eric McCoy, Larry Warford, and Ryan Ramchek. Larry Warford has one year left on his mm-hmm. deal. Is he going to be? As you talk about it, the coronavirus, uh, might not get things started. Training camp is that? If, if was there a chance that Warford might have been out of here if, if there wasn't these OTAs and everything? But now he might he might still
0: be in that fold because they want to keep continuity on that lawn for one yeah, more year. I don't know if they were ever going to cut him. I do know his caps hit did not match what he gave them. I do know they weren't particularly happy with his production uh, last season. He's going into the last year of his deal. Typically. Um, those are the ones that are vulnerable to becoming a quote-unquote cap casualty. But um, would he have been released? I, I'm going to say no, but I do think he was one of the ones they kind of had circled as, if he doesn't bring it, perhaps he could be a guy that, that, that could be on the outside looking in once training camp goes and preseason goes and they make those final cuts. So I do think Larry Warford, going into the last year of his deal, is a bit on the clock a little bit because I, I do know they were not happy completely with his production last season.
1: Another big free agent signing for the New Orleans Saints, Malcolm Jenkins, four years, $32 million, $16.5 million guaranteed. The Saints drafted in 2009. He won a Super Bowl. Sean, how important is it to get a leader like this guy back in the locker room when you need a lot of leadership if you want to get to the next level and win a Super well, Bowl? You
0: needed leadership at that position more than anywhere else because if you go back and look at the penalties last year, overwhelming. It was either hands to the face or holding penalties and pass interference penalties in the secondary. And there was a roller coaster year for the Saints' secondary last year. And a lot of that had to do with communication issues, um, talented group, but young group, uh, a little bit inconsistent, um, not quite the, um, uh, the, the veteran savvy that you necessarily have. I mean, all those guys were under the age of 25, if I'm not mistaken, other than Patrick Robinson, who didn't play much. Um, so you're talking about a young group that was needing some veteran presence Malcolm will do that I went back and watched a lot of his games in Philadelphia I mean he is the maestro back there he is communicating he's more of like almost like a DeMario Davis in that he runs everything on the defense uh, with Philly now I don't know how he's going to do that this year with the Saints but um, I do think that position group more than any other was in desperate need of a veteran who's got some gas left in the tank don't think he's got four years left in the tank but I think he's got at least two more years left in the tank and he's a guy he's a better cover guy than Von Bell uh, don't think he's quite as tough against the run, but he is effective against the run. Both guys can blitz. Um, and I think, because we, we have a final word uh, submission. We'll I'm going to I'm gonna get to that next. I, I got it right here. I think the Saints are better with the combination of Malcolm Jenkins and C.J. Gardner-Johnson as opposed to not having Malcolm Jenkins, a chance to get Von Bell, who's an asc- uh, ascending player, but not necessarily where Malcolm Jenkins is yet. Malcolm Jenkins is more established, plus you have a young guy in C.J. Garner-Johnson as opposed to C.J. Garner-Johnson, and let's just say you were able to bring back Von Bell, who may not be as good as Malcolm Jenkins. Ask your question because it's pretty similar. So
1: Michael Owen uh, from Slidell, uh, not a former Liverpool great or Real Madrid. There you go. John yeah. Bennett for you, and producer. So obviously Michael Owen is a uh, big uh, fan of our final play show because he must have watched it last night because yeah. he heard your comments. He and you can see Sean's raw first uh, part of his interview with Wonk and Kate. It's on Fox8live.com. I put it up last night. It's almost like 11 minutes of good stuff. So if you want to see it, uh, you can understand where Michael's coming with this question. So from Michael, how can you say we gained a piece on defense if we allow Vaughn Bell to leave? All we did was swap Jenkins for Bell. For us to get better on D, we have to keep both. That's an all-caps with an exclamation point. Marcus Williams has proven he can't cover or tackle. It started his rookie season against Minnesota. You can't tackle what you can't see. Every time Williams attempts to tackle, he either grabs shoulders or dives at the opponent's legs. You don't run with your shoulders. Boy, he's really getting in-depth here. And when you dive at legs and are looking at the ground, you end up tackling nothing in caps again. He loves the caps here. And Williams proved this repeatedly. I understand the money situation and the salary cap. However, if we upgrade from Bell to Jenkins but let Bell leave and Williams stay, we did not get better on D. That's a lot to digest, Sean, so take it all in, bud.
0: Well, hey, look. I, I appreciate the passion. I felt it in the question. It sounds like that's more of a of a <laughs> negative towards Marcus Williams <laughs> yes, more than anyone else, and Marcus Williams has become a vulnerability, a liability when it comes to tackling on the back end. And I went back and w- looked at a few of my old blogs uh, actually this morning just to kind of refresh narratives of where we were after each week. And I remember writing a couple times that Marcus Williams' tackling ability um, and ability uh, has really become a detriment to the Saints' defense. So I agree with all that. Um, and there's still an outside chance Von Bell returns, especially since he hasn't signed with anyone yet. Uh, the market may have cooled, so perhaps you know, he could come back on a cheaper deal. Maybe he signs a one-year prove-it deal, whatever. Um, as of this podcast taping, though, he has not signed with anyone yet. So there's still an outside chance, but the Saints played the cards of, A, Sean Payton really regretted Malcolm Jenkins leaving, and you still got a guy. That, I, I get it. He's 32. Malcolm and Vaughn is 26, so clearly one's at the beginning or the middle of the prime, and one uh, is towards the end. But Malcolm Jenkins... I think it's pretty obvious the Saints viewed him as a better player, a more established player who's already there as opposed to Von Bell, who you're still projecting a little bit to see where he's going to end up being uh, as a player. I still think they're two different players. And I, I think Malcolm Jenkins' ability to play man-to-man coverage is worth more than Von Bell's ability in run support. I know that sounds crazy, but I think that's what the Saints value more. And I think Malcolm Jenkins, when you added his, his intangibles, plus the emergence of C.J. Gardner-Johnson, I think the Saints feel that it's a net gain by losing Von Bell but getting Malcolm Jenkins with the emergence of C.J. Gardner-Johnson, even with Marcus Williams, who plays a totally different position. He's a center fielder. He's going to play the single high, uh, being a, a guy that's that's been up and down, to say the least, in his career. So uh michael i love the question because it's a good question it's a, and it's a it's an intelligent fan question but i'm gonna go ahead and disagree i i would love for all those guys to be back it's just not realistic but if they could pull it off so be it if they do pull it off that would be another genius move uh by this front office but if at the end of the day you have malcolm jenkins marcus williams and cj gardner johnson as your three safeties to me i think that's better than cj gardner johnson von bell and marcus williams that's just my opinion
1: Another defensive uh, signing for the Saints, uh, this free agency, David Onyemata, three years, $27 million. Is his signing trying to protect themselves if Sheldon Rankins has, what, one year left on his mm-hmm. deal? Is, is that a protection to keep if Sh- if Sheldon does
0: a walk after free agency after Absolutely. this year? I, I think yes. I think that's they have that foresight. I also think it's interesting that of all the players, the key free agents that – were available. The first one they inked up was on Yamada. The first one, A, it tells you other teams were interested, and in, B, it tells you how high the Saints hold him in, you know, how, how high regard the Saints hold him because that first day, he was the biggest signing. First few days, he was the biggest signing, three years, $27 million. Remember, uh, A.J. Klein left, Teddy Bridgewater left, Eli Apple left. They were able to kind of hold on to David on Yamada. In my opinion, here's why. He's a player who's, who's improved every year, and he plays a position that's very hard to find, skill, and it's even harder to find depth. And I did a roster evaluation. The deepest position on the team is defensive tackle. So at some point, if rank, the, the unknown of Rankins came into play, whereas Anyamata, let's just say Rankins has a great year. Well, his, he's gonna, his price tag is going to be a lot higher in three years, $27 million that David Anyamata signed. So all those factors came into play. I thought it was key. And I thought it was very telling that he was the first of their own that they signed. Speaking of free
1: agency signings, not signings so far, I'll, I'm getting a lot of text messages from friends on Facebook. Taysom Hill, what, should we see something soon from him, from his signing this week there? Or, or what should we see with Hill in the future? Well, look, the first
0: round tender's on him. Uh, he's not going anywhere. Um, Cat Pitts not, not great. It's almost $5 million. So when you sign those tenders... That's why they only signed uh, Taysom. was the only restricted free agent that they tendered. Uh, it sounds good on the surface for a team, but it's actually it's fairly high in terms of your cap hit, your inability to manipulate the cap because there's only a one-year deal. Um, but I would expect that deal would get done at some point. However, they don't necessarily have to do it because they created space in other areas by the Michael Thomas, Teron Armstead restructure, the pay cuts to Patrick Robinson and Kiko Alonso. Uh, that that freed up the space to go out and get a guy like Emmanuel Sanders to fit Malcolm Jenkins uh, in the salary cap. So it's less dire, but it's more strategic now for the Saints to get out in front of it because let's just say crazy things happen and all of a sudden Taysom takes off this year. Well, a quarterback going into his unrestricted free agency uh, is going to cost a lot more than a guy right now who's a little bit of a hybrid, a little bit of unique. Uh, If the Saints can get out in front and sign him now, um, I think it would certainly help them, but it's not nece- it's, it's not a have to at the moment. I think it will get done. It's just not a have to happen at the moment because they have the cap space to go sign players right now.
1: All right, Drew Brees, two years, $50 million. He is signed up. I, I texted you last week. I thought Chase Daniel could have been that dude that came in to be the backup, but he signed another deal, uh, another big deal. He's going with the Lions now. Chase Daniel, man, is just making that money, man. I, g- God bless him where do the Saints go for this backup quarterback spot? Is there anybody on your radar that you see right now would be a perfect fit for that backup?
0: Oh, man. For that, it's a veteran minimum guy. Uh, I thought the guy that would be perfect was the guy I just signed with New England, a guy like Brian Hoyer would have mm-hmm. been perfect for that role. Um, but he's going to have a chance to quote-unquote start um, in a uh, in New England. So I don't know who out, what journeyman is still out there that would be available that's a clear-cut backup. I know some people ask me, what about Jameis – what about Jameis Winston? Would you yell, Garrett, Garrett Grayson? Grayson? Garrett oh, Grayson? Gosh. Yeah, I don't know if that's going to happen. Um, somebody yelled Jameis Winston. It's like, eh, no. I just, I don't, I don't, I don't see that happening. Um, so I don't know who's still out there that would be available that would fit that mold. Uh, and if you can't get, that, they're going to have to find someone uh, that can do it. Um, somebody hopefully would would shake loose at this point. But it was a weird quarterback market to begin with. So because all the starting quarterbacks were reshuffling, not all the backup quarterbacks were reshuffling. Chase Daniel made the most sense. He's obviously not available. Who else is available? How
1: about how about this one? He's obviously set up for a backup career. Joe Flacco. Would would he fit at all? Uh, I mean, he he did did play his play out of his skull for
0: one postseason. He's got a Super Bowl ring here in New Orleans. Um, he was in New Orleans when he won that ring. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's not a bad name. If he's willing to accept the fact you're not a starter anymore, which I would hope he does. I mean, he just got beat out by Drew Lock. Exactly. I
1: mean, that, that's 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 no bueno for uh, his career to get beat out by. Uh, yeah, that's uh, not
0: a bad name. Um, Joe Flacco. Um, huh. I don't know who else. I mean, Luke McCown is always the ultimate <laughs> guy. He's, maybe you can pull him out of retirement. Is Josh still playing McCown?
1: Well, he now he did play for the Philadelphia Eagles this uh, uh, last season filled in, actually played in the playoff game against the uh, Seahawks because he got knocked out. Um, I mean, um, sorry, uh, Carson Wentz got knocked out. Josh McCown had to fill in. I I brought it up to you on uh, overtime last week. Um, Amazon Prime, Mm -hmm. I told Saints fans if they want to see what kind of leader Malcolm Jenkins is, watch Amazon Prime all or nothing season with the Philadelphia Eagles. McCown, one of the last last, uh, scenes in that episode – was them getting knocked out of the playoffs, and he was crying on the ground, Josh McCown, because he realized his career was over with, and it was a really good moment. I mean, we got a lot of time on our hands, so if you want to check it out, it's a really good series on uh, Amazon Prime. But you could tell that I think it was over for Josh McCown because he sat on the ground in the the walkway back to the locker room for, like, dude, it felt like an eternity on camera. Um, So I don't know if Josh McCown still has anything left. I know Cam Newton's about to get dumped. That's not another one either, huh?
0: Uh, Yeah, I think he's going to try to be a starter somewhere i, 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 <laughs> I don't mean, know I don't, where. i don't know where or what team or who would be available I, I just i don't see him coming here um i guess it's certainly possible but um, i wouldn't necessarily see him here um i don't know man I, that's a good one because i think that's a need and maybe do they do that with a fifth round pick in the draft a developmental quarterback perhaps they can develop i i don't know that, that that's generally not what sean payton does um so we'll see um i'm I'm trying to think. I mean, so the would they? W- I can't think of.
1: So would they be really rolling the dice, though, drafting a quarterback and putting him at the backup position? Uh, Say maybe, like, I know Jake Fromm's dropping. He'll probably be there in the third round. The Saints do not have a second-round pick right now. W- would that be smart by them if Jake Fromm's available and then you're putting him at the I, backup position? So and, he, and if, if Drew gets hurt, you're taking
0: Taysom off the field doing other things. No, no. Well, here's the deal it's really the third string quarterback you're talking about mm-hmm. because if Drew gets hurt. Taysom's going in anyway as right. a quarterback. Right, right. So then you need to back up to Taysom at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, only way I would consider that in the draft would be uh fourth round or later. I would not go first or third round for a quarterback. Excuse me. If, uh, if one became available or whatever the case may be. So, um, uh, Jake Frown would be interesting because I, I view him as a developmental guy. I don't know. I think his ceiling's pretty low. But he would be a guy I think that could develop into a decent backup in the NFL. So if he were available in the fourth or fifth round, maybe. Um, but I still think they're going to eventually settle in on some veteran somewhere. Um, I'm going to have to go, go through some rosters here to see uh, what, what could potentially be available. Because... Everyone thought Chase Daniel. And kudos to Chase Daniel. This guy has made more money as a backup quarterback. <laughs> I mean, what a career he's had. Was he had, like four starts in his career? He's killed. He pl- he started last season, I think, on Thanksgiving. He's made like $80 million. He
1: he has killed it. Uh next big deal for New Orleans Saints. All right, Andres P got his cash. He got a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Alvin Kamara, Marshawn Lattimore, Ryan Ramchick. Is there any urgency to get any of these deals done
0: before the regular season starts? Of those three, I'd go Ramchak because I think he's going to be the most expensive. Um, now, he's still got two years left on his deal. Um, so that, that would be... They would be acting a little out of out of their norm by signing him with two years left on his deal. But it's certainly possible exceptions can be made. Uh, I don't think Lattimore is going to be a top-paid cornerback, but I think Ramchek is going to be the, the highest-paid uh, when he signs. Because I think eventually he's going to be a left tackle, um, but we'll see. Um, Alvin Kamara is a tricky one because I could see him holding out. It's hard to f- place a value on him. And what just happened with Todd Gurley? That's what I was about to ask you. I about mean, he, Todd Gurley almost single-handedly like reawakened the running back market, and then just took took it right back down because he's become a cautious case of you know they got out in front, and they made him the highest paid running back in the NFL, and a year or two years into that extension, he was done. They mm-hmm. were done. And he, he signed a one year deal in Atlanta. So the Alvin Kamara deal is tricky because he's more of a, of an all purpose running back, as opposed to a, uh, a ground and pound running back like Todd Gurley was. Although Todd Gurley did a lot of things other than just run the football, but the saints don't run their offense through Alvin Kamara, but he's obviously a, a piece that's needed. And I don't think he was, a, he was not a hundred percent healthy at all uh, about midway through the season through the end last year. Um, I don't know that he has the same leverage where he sits than let's say Michael Thomas has where he sat last year, but I do see a scenario where they're going to Alvin's camp's going to want to get something worked out. So um, uh, that's a good question. But of those three, the one I would want to lock up first would be Ramchak. Bucky Brooks, and
1: uh, Daniel Jeremiah had a really good really good uh, show list recently on a podcast there, and they were talking about the running back spot with. Uh, with Todd Gurley not getting his money. They said, uh, uh, now I want to get your thoughts on this, they said a, a move to do with running backs now is if you don't want to pay them. You get them on the rookie contract, four or five years, then you just franchise tag them twice. Yeah. You get seven seasons out of your running back, and then you can just dump them. And then you can just draft another one, and you don't have to pay them what 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 option so alvin Kamara got drafted so he's this is his fourth season in the league he'll be an undrafted he'll be an un- unrestricted free agent next year so you get four years out of him so you could or is that a bad move to try to to, to get the not sign him this all season he's got one year left on his deal and then um uh i'm sorry yeah he's got one year left on his deal and that's then true, franchise man. T-
0: that's true from a business standpoint i don't know what it for a generally amicable relationship of locker room and front office, I don't mm-hmm. know what that would do because Camara, look, last year was a little bit of an outlier. Seventeen and eighteen, I mean, two thousand seventeen, he burst on the scene. Eighteen, he was asked to do a lot more, mm-hmm. and you know, he was certainly a guy that was counted on. I, I'm willing to put last year in its proper context and say that's not the real Camara. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know what that does in terms of your interpret. I don't. I don't know. It would that infuriate looks in him the locker room. Yeah. Um, but if you really think about Todd Gurley's situation his rookie deal and if he would have got two franchise tagged they're right back where he is at anyway by signing the extension and now uh, he's out of work and I don't know what the dead money hit the Rams had to take by uh, by, by basically cutting uh, Todd Gurley so that's a shrewd business move uh, I, I could foresee in that scenario Alvin Kamara just not playing and mm-hmm. just holding out and forcing the Saints hand in that scenario I, it's a from a purely business standpoint, that's if that player has no leverage. And I just, it's too early in Kamara's career for that to happen. I think a deal that I would, and the Saints have only franchised, they've only franchised, the last franchise tag player they had was, was Jimmy Graham mm-hmm. back in 2013 or 14. So I could see a scenario where Alvin Kamara negotiates a deal. And the deal I was looking at when I looked at the top paid running backs, and there's a gap between the, uh, Was David Johnson one of the two? He makes about 12, and there's a gap to about eight and a half. Him fitting somewhere in between there being a top five pay running back four years, 40 million something like that was the number I was thinking of. But that's just you know me thinking out loud. But I think of all the extensions that need to be done because I think Latimer's going to get done, Mm -hmm. I think Ramcheck's going to get done. Mm -hmm. Kamara is the trickiest. A position and B production is just a little different than other running backs.
1: Sean, in this league, it's all about continuity, keeping things status quo, keeping a lot of these guys together there. You know, I know Drew Brees likes to keep his weapons intact. Teddy Bridgewater signs with the Panthers. Tom Brady signs with the Mm Bucs. There's a real chance that we're not going to see any of these guys in OTAs, um, mini-camp this summer, possibly training camp will be the first time these teams work out together as as a team. Do you think that can start to at least on the front end for the Saints, be a, a huge advantage, especially if NFC South games do maybe go on the front end with the records of the other teams, because Tom Brady's not going to be able to work out with Chase Godwin and Mike Evans, and Teddy Bridgewater's not going to be able to be with Christian McCaffrey.
0: 100%. Think about this. Think about the Saints' teams over the last few years, um, the slow starts, how they don't, nec- even if they win, they don't really look like themselves till about week five or week six, and that's with a program that's had a lot of players returning. Now you bring in if you're another team like like Carolina. It's got a whole new coaching staff, new quarterback, really shaking loose a lot on that roster. I could see that game real ugly early for them. I think in Tampa's case, you got a returning staff. The only the new the newcomer, obviously, is Tom Brady, who's played enough football and hopefully, um, I say hopefully, and then I guess in their case, hopefully, not hopefully for the Saints, um, could somehow develop that chemistry a little bit sooner, just because of his veteran experience. We'll see. Uh, but I absolutely agree. Uh, an experienced team like the Saints, an experienced team like Philadelphia, like Green Bay, uh, San Francisco, Seattle, those teams this year are going to have a, uh, a much greater advantage than they already would have uh, just because of this unprecedented circumstance we're dealing with right now. All right, last question. We're going to send you out
1: with a good one here. I know on final play on Sunday night, Juan asked you who's going to win the division, who was the favorite. You said NFC South. I'm going to go one further. Who is the NFC favorite to go to the Super Bowl this season with all the moves that have happened right now in free agency?
0: One team I got to I got to go one team
1: in the NFC. In the NFC. Yeah, well, cuz last night you said the NFC South, you said it was the Saints are still the
0: favorite. I still think they're the favorite uh in the NFC South and I still think the Saints and San Francisco are the two best teams in the NFC. Um so, I mean, look. Well, the Saints just took one of their probably one of their better and weapons. They just grabbed the, one yeah, away exactly. from them. Exactly. And um, they still got Drew Brees. So, I think the Saints are still, if not the best team, one of the best teams in the NFC. So, I think they have a strong chance of being the team that comes out the NFC. I really do. Because they, the players that they lost, the players that they gained, and what they have coming back, I still think um, they're going to be a team 12, 13, 14 wins in two thousand twenty. Sean Fazan with
1: fantastic information from Free Agency. Before you go, a quick reminder and request to subscribe to this podcast channel to automatically get all of your content. Also, please rate and review the podcast to help spread the word. And if you want to get in touch with us, use the Final Play app or Tiger Huddle app to submit a question. That'll do it for us. We'll talk to you next time on Overtime. He knows the law, he knows the law, ship for style, ship for style, he's care of it all, ship for
0: style. From Fox 8 Sports, this has been Fox 8 Overtime.